0: Place, that first verse, we, what we read, what happened to him was that um, he'd heard that John the Baptist, his cousin, had died. Uh, the picture there is uh, called the "La Danse de Salome" by uh, by an artist who sort of crafted. And there are all kinds of different ones. This is actually the least gross painting of the beheading of John that exists uh, in uh, the Enlightenment period of of our art. But uh, uh, so John had been there; he'd been. Uh, serving. He'd been baptizing people. He'd been connecting with people out in the desert eating locusts and honey, like just doing the thing. Uh, He comes and recognizes who Jesus is. He begins to promote Jesus. And ultimately, he gets killed for what he's done. Uh, He offends. Herod, he offends Herod's daughter, and she, like, does a dance for Herod, and Herod says, I'll give you anything you want, anything you want at all, uh, name it. Your dance was so wicked, so awesome. It was such a great dance that you can just have anything. She's like, well, could I have John the Baptist's head on a plate? And uh, that's where that phrase comes from. And and Herod said, well, sure, Uh, yeah, we could do that. No problem. And send some guys out, chop off John the Baptist's head, and bring it to him. So that's the, uh, that's the, that's the deal. John the Baptist is really the first martyr. And so this is Jesus' cousin, right? So, in the middle of this grief, in the middle of this pain, he, he hears the story of John. We see in the Luke account, the disciples went and collected the body of John and they buried, uh, buried him. And they bring the news back to Jesus, and filled with grief, Uh, Filled with pain and and just tired from all the ministry he's been doing, uh, Jesus sort of withdraws to a solitary place. And the place he went was a place called Bethsaida. And I don't know if our Israel crew uh, visited that place, but it's sort of on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's just like, I got to check out. I'm tired. I'm weary. I've done so much ministry. I've got to set a boundary here. Uh, and I need to get away, and I need to be with the Father. And we see that Jesus has done that all kinds of different times in his ministry. Uh, he's sort of said, okay, I'm going to get away to pray. But in this case, uh, there's, you know, something different that that's happening. And, and you know You know, it's totally legit to to set boundaries, like we, we do that all the time, we, we reach the limit of our ability to deal with the situation and we pass off responsibility or whatever. Anna and I had that dynamic in our marriage, like uh, when Jack was a little baby and he would cry at night, you know, I was like, that's your son, honey. Like, that's, that's your boy. I know just how much you love him, and, and you're equipped to deal with this situation, honey. So sometimes that was how it would go at night, and sometimes I would wake up in the morning having had an amazing sleep, and I would say to Anna, Anna, that's so amazing that Jack slept through the night. That's so great. I had such a great sleep. And she would say something like, well, she wouldn't really say anything. She would just like give me the daggers of death. Like, <laughs> like clearly I had slept through the whole show, right? So there's that uh, kind of deal. But you, you know, you set those boundaries. You can negotiate those things in relationships. Uh, Anna and I had those boundaries set up around around diapers. We had that set up. We had a deal. 95 out of 100 diapers Anna dealt with. Just, 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 I know this is, guys, This just a little coaching for you really. So I'm saying, you know, just 95, I'm just confessing the truth. I was a bad husband, you know, and when, when it was a really stinky one, it was just kind of like Kind of one of those kinda of one of those deals, right? And, and I was like, honey, this is your child. This is don't you love him? Isn't he amazing? And so I did. I, she dealt with ninety-five of them and I dealt with uh, with five of them. But from her perspective, she was setting a boundary. That was a fantastic deal because one hundred percent of the puke I got to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal for us. And that deal still goes on. She did 95% of the diapers in the first few years of the kid's life. But even if they still puke today, it's like, you remember the deal, honey. Like, real deal. Like, you're going to deal with it, stomach. And the kid pukes in the night. Like, projectile pukes all over his bed. Sheets have to be changed. Everything has to be done. It's like, I'm on. I'm in it. Because she is like, puke, I can't handle. Poop, I can handle. Puke, I can't handle. Puke is like for her you know we set these boundaries in life and it's totally legit and uh, and we do that all the time with all kinds of different things we do it with work we do it with with everything else but uh, how do we deal with that around the needs that we face I mean here's the story of Jesus he's just hurt his cousin he's gone off to this beautiful place uh, beside on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's sitting probably under a tree just like this and he's sort of he's sort of thinking man i'm just going to be able to go there i'm going to be able to go on retreats i'm going to be able to rest i'm going to be able to have peace and it says it says this it says hearing of this the crowds followed him on foot from the towns and when jesus landed he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed all of the sick with his disciples I've just got this little note on this word disciple that these are his apprentices, right? There's something here that he is wanting to teach them, right? Whenever we see these amazing stories of Jesus, there's something there that he wants to teach. So a disciple is a learner, a disciple's apprentice. So uh, they're watching him. They know he's tired. They know he's grieving over the loss of John. Uh, They know that he's experiencing some pain there, but the crowds come to him, and Jesus is moved with compassion, and that word compassion is uh, really points to what the Greek understanding of the way the the body worked, like body, soul, spirit, how it worked. Your emotions, in the Greek understanding, sort of flowed from from your your bowels, flowed from down in here in your in your abdomen. That was sort of their understanding of where that part of your makeup came from, and so. They'd be like, compassion is like a, a yearning in the guts. It's like, I've got to do this. I've got to deal with this thing. I've got to move. I've got to act here. It's, it's beyond a feeling. It's a, it's a necessity. And that was their understanding of, of what compassion was. And, and so Jesus actually authentically uh, felt that for people in that space. And so often we're in a place where we're sort of torn between those two things. We're torn between uh, that feeling of compassion, and sometimes torn between our weariness or torn between uh, tiredness. Uh, how many? How many of you have really experienced that in your lives? Like, like it's it's it just comes down to the nitty gritty for us. And and as we sort of wrestle that down and, and deal with it, what was Jesus trying to say to his disciples? About that. And and when we we listen to these stories, we we try to put ourselves in the place of different people in this story. And and I want to put us in the feet, uh, in the footsteps of the crowd for just a second and just say, you know what? Jesus has enough compassion for you. Jesus has enough compassion for your situation. It's kind of like a no job is too big or too small for Jesus. I just want to unpack this for a second because, you know, when I'm wrestling with stuff, uh, you know, one of the things that, that often repeats in my head when I'm praying for God to meet a need in my life, I'm, I'm praying like, man, we need some cash, we've got we to gotta get the propane tanks filled. Uh, so we can heat the house. Uh, man, Lord, we've got to deal with this. Lord, we've got to deal with that. Like, how am I going to deal with this? And then as I'm praying about my sort of small things in the developing developed world, you know, these other images surface in my mind, right? The image of the coaches and, and teams in Humboldt, Saskatchewan right, and the grief that they're experiencing there, Uh, the grief that's going on in in Syria over that just war-torn place, and you see a couple of those images up on the screen, and and immediately that sort of surfaces for me, like, man, why am I even praying for that? Like, why am I even dealing with that? Like, Jesus, you have got no time for my little issue with my propane tanks. Like, you just honestly don't. And I just felt like this is just a tiny thing I'm supposed to say to you uh, this morning, that Jesus actually has enough compassion for the Middle East and for Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and for the boo-boo on your finger. Right? He, He cares about all of it. And his love is big enough for all of it. And we so often judge things, so to us things are relative because we 're dealing in the in the sense of limited resources. We only have so much care to give, we feel like we, we only have so much heart to give, but Jesus has infinite love to give, and his heart is one hundred percent for the people of Syria. His heart is 100% for the people of Humboldt, Saskatchewan. His heart is 100% for just the little stuff that you're dealing with, that you can't pay your bills or you have an injury or you have an ache or a pain or you have arthritis in your knees uh, or you have a cold. Like, like You have 100% of the investment of the heart of God. He is not limited in his love and that it is enough only for one place. So come to him with your need. Come to him uh, like these people on, on the side of the mountain who were hungry, these people who all came to him uh, with their sickness. Like uh, he healed all their sick. Like he just healed them all. Like he, didn't, he didn't rate them and say, man, this guy, he can really afford to get back to Jerusalem and, and go see the priests and, and maybe connect with a physician. Like, I'm not going to really worry about that guy, but this guy, he doesn't have Medicare. So we're going we're gonna to heal him. You know, like Jesus didn't, didn't rank people like that. He had a heart for all of them, right? And so you need to know that whatever your situation, however big, however small, Jesus has a heart for you and whatever it is that you're struggling with. Um, like, full stop. And we know that there are big issues in the world, and we can't just be focused on ourselves, like, for real. But, but at the same time, God's love is big enough for the whole deal, right? Like, he's got it. He's got it. Um, and, and so we're, we're sort of wrestling with that. So, so that's, what the, that's what Jesus has to say to us as the crowd. But now, what, what does he have to say to us as the disciples when we're in the story? What's, what's Jesus showing us? Uh, in that moment, and and we come back to this word around apprenticeship. Um, wait a second, that isn't right. Uh, there we go, uh, apprenticeship. We come back to that uh, that idea of Jesus as uh, somebody who really does want to teach us something. You know, he's, he's not. You're fired. He he's like he really wants to live in deep, authentic relationship with you as a as a father to his son. Uh, What does he want to teach you about compassion? (laughs) What does he want to teach you about living with a heart like that? So I'm going to tell you a little story from grade 9. I'm not in grade 9. This is one of Jack's stories from grade 9. That's probably why he's not here this morning because he knows I'm going to tell the story. Uh, But they're reading, they're studying. How many of you read Animal Farm in school? Do you read Animal Farm in School? You know, it's sort of, it's sort of a, a parody, a sort of a, a novel that kind of symbolically unpacks the, the growth of communi- communism in Russia and just sort of looks at that whole picture and, uh, and in the story there's this amazing moment these pigs are sort of taken over the farm the humans have been kicked out uh, the pigs are in charge they're kind of manipulating everybody else uh, the humans come back to take over the farm and, and they have this, this battle and this s- human stable boy gets killed and is left on the battlefield and they're wondering what do we do and the horse that in the course of the battle uh, killed this human is is feeling some grief and some remorse uh, but the pigs who were in charge of everything, they kind of say, hey, man, you've just got to chill out. It's okay. Like, like it, you killed a human, but it's not a big deal. Like, like there's there, only good humans, a dead human, is the quote uh, from this, this pig's na- nice name for pig named Snowball. The only, the only good human is a dead human. Like, you've got to deal with this people. I'm a revolutionary leader. We're going for it. And so uh, the question was asked of these grade 9 students. Some of them go to our local Christian school. And some of them uh, go to private schools and different schools all around the province. Some of them are homeschoolers. The question was asked, do you think Snowball's reaction to the stable boy's death is appropriate for a revolutionary leader? Right? And Snowball's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. He's dead human. He's a good human. It's all good, right? So this is, this is some quotes from grade nine students. And, and I'm just beginning to read these. Like, like, it's night. It's like 9.30 at night. Toby's in bed. And I'm looking through this message board that they have up where the students are interacting. And I'm reading some of these responses. These are some of the responses from grade nine students. Uh, the reaction, this is from Joseph. I've, I've made up these names. This is a name from Joseph Gentlehand. Um, It says this, The reaction from Snowball was very appropriate for a revolutionary leader. A leader is supposed to be violent and do whatever is needed to achieve their goal. Revolutionary leaders are not supposed to be sentimental if it means their goal is harder to attain. Snowball dealt with the death of the stable hand without mercy, just like a revolutionary leader should. Joseph... Joseph Gentlehand. Thank you, Joseph Gentlehand, for my encouragement that is now growing about this coming generation of leaders. Uh, Reading another quote Snowball's reaction to this death is indeed a good demonstration of a good revolutionary leader. He is fighting a war. He cannot care about all the people he will kill, it would just be too much for him to handle emotionally. (laughs) That quote is from Cody Bickhart. Here's another quote. These are grade nine students from across the province. Uh, Here, Snowball is being an excellent leader. He confronts Boxer and lets him know that it is okay that he killed someone. But not only that, he encourages it. He says, the only good human being is a dead one. This is Orwell, page 28. Uh, This brings self-esteem to the animals that they need to stay dedicated to their goals by any means necessary. Snowball showcases himself as an excellent leader here, and there will hopefully be more of this excellent leadership later in the book. (laughs) Okay, so I'm starting to freak out a little bit because I'm reading these responses. Jack hasn't responded yet, and I'm like, what's going on to this generation? Like, Stalin is being raised in grade nine, Ontario. What's going on? I'm starting to freak out. I'm beginning to pace now. I'm like I'm I'm pacing living like we're doomed. Right? Like, and here's another one. I read another one. I think Snowball's reaction was appropriate in his role as a revolutionary leader. Like all great revolutionary leaders of the past, you have to kill people. To get to the top. (laughs) This is from, yeah, this is from Sherry Goodkind. Right, reading another one. If Snowball and his comrades start thinking of humans as their equals, that would be a mistake. How can you kill people who are like brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and sons if you need to? You will certainly crumble emotionally. (laughs) And this is from Ricky Friendmaker. Right, like, this is grade nine compassion. Right? Like, kill them all! And I begin to pace the room. I'm stomping around. I'm like, I'm freaking out. Jack, do you, do you know what your friends think? And he's like, Dad, I know. It's crazy. He's like, let, let, me, let me help you write something. And I immediately begin, like, father takeover of the assignment mode. And I'm like, son, son, if we just say let's tell them about Stalin. Let's tell them about the death toll of communism. Like, come on. Don't you know about communism, son? And I'm stomping the house. We're doomed. Toby comes out, because I'm flipping out. He comes out of his room he's 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 half asleep he's like dad what are you so excited about I'm like don't worry son it's just the commies go back to bed like like I'm freaking out right next morning Jack wakes up and I'm still there with my computer I mean I have gone to sleep but I'm like Jack I've written some responses to your friends for you can you post them for me he's like dad this is my assignment dude back off right (laughs) but 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 Jack we gotta deal with this that's the level, like, of, of compassion that is natural to us as humans. Like, you got to kill them all to get to get what, where you need to go. And this is what we see in movies, right? This is what we see in the Hunger Games. This is what we see in all that, like, this sort of situation ethics, right? Where you just got to do what's got to be done. It doesn't matter who you kill, right? That's sort of our natural default as humans. That's kind of where we're at but if we're disciples of Jesus he wants to do something different in us doesn't he he wants to do something different we need the heart of Jesus or we need Jesus to transform our hearts Uh, just this uh, last week it was uh, a week sort of celebrating the 414 window did you know that that an enormous percentage of people who give their hearts their lives are between the ages of four and fourteen? Do we have compassion for those ones? Do we have a heart for our kids? Do we have the Father's heart for our kids? Can we allow that thing, that feeling, that sense of that yearning in the guts that Jesus had to allow it to overrule our sense of our own needs? I mean, Jesus had every right in this story to just go and be away and be alone, but but he was gripped by compassion and he had to act. He had to do something. He had to wrestle it down. He had to give his time. He allowed his need, his need to care, his need to pour out, his need to love, to override his boundaries and spend energy that he didn't think he had. But when we do that, we receive the grace of the Father. That has to be a a transformation that Jesus does in our hearts to be people who look beyond ourselves and people who look beyond our own needs. The story goes on. Uh, As Jesus, as evening approached, the disciples uh, came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And now Jesus takes... This thing where they've watched him respond in compassion and do the miracle. And now as he, as an, a good teacher does with his apprentices, he places the tools in their hands and says, okay, guys, you got a problem. <laughs> he kicks them in the butt and he says, you give these guys something to eat now. I just healed them. I just spoke to them. I, I taught them. We see the teaching piece that Jesus offered in the Luke account of the story, um, but Jesus sort of responds and says, okay, guys, now now they need some lunch. Like, your turn. Your turn, guys. Uh, let's do it. And, uh, and 5,000 men plus women, probably 20,000 people. And the disciples are looking at what they have and they're looking at their resource and they're looking at this command of Jesus to respond in compassion to the needs of the people. And, and honestly, would you be flipping out? Right, like, Jesus, uh, we really needed the planning committee to get at this one a little bit earlier. Like we really should have thought this through at staff meeting. We could have had a contingency fund all planned. We could go to the villages. Uh, we could get some food for them. You know, we could call Pizza Pizza. We could probably do something like that, Jesus. But uh, we need to have the funds in place. And we really should have had a, a board meeting to get that organized and get that all all planned and structured out, Jesus. Uh, so, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure we can we can help you with that, <laughs> right? We feel that compassion we, we feel that desire to help them. I know these people are hungry. I know they've got something, but but uh, but we we just don't have it. We just don't we just don't know what to do. But Jesus always puts it back in our hands, not only to feel compassion, not only to experience it, not only to be a heart, not only to like, man, those people in the Middle East, you know, somebody posted about that on Facebook, and I, I liked it. I, I, I put a sad face on it for those people in Humboldt. Like, that's, that's what I've got, you know. And, and we do, we interact that a we pray. We pray, but sometimes we're called to action. I, w- I want to just share a story of uh, how the father's compassion invites uh, action and this is just a little tiny story of, of my my personal uh, journey we were living out in this house uh, you can see it in the very back and there's a little granny flat and we were living in saint stephen new brunswick and Anna had gone back to Ontario uh, to visit family. And I was there on my own. I was a student. I was working on my master's. I was writing papers. I was in my room uh, writing away. Sort of the curtains were drawn. I'm like, I got assignments up to here. Back then I didn't have a beard, but I was starting to get a little scruffy looking. My hair was like a little bit greasy and, and slimy. And and I went out on the back deck of this house. And the people who lived in there were often sort of watching out for me and, and taking good care of me. And I realized, i told you the story. I was out on the back deck. I didn't eat very well. Didn't take care of myself very well when Anna was away. I went down to the, the grocery store at the beginning of her trip and I and I got like a couple of club packs of hamburger and I made myself a whole bunch of hamburgers, and I didn't want to touch them, so I put them in the bread machine to mix them, and I put them all in there with all the mix, and I just mixed it up, and then before they cooked, I could have made meatloaf in the bread machine. I know I totally could have, but I didn't. Uh, so I let it mix in the bread machine, and I made all these hamburgers, and I put them in the freezer, and I'm eating hamburgers, breakfast, lunch, and supper uh, until Anna gets back. I've got meals covered, and I'm out there, and I'm looking greasy and scruffy by day three or four. It's been dark. I've hardly been out of the house except for classes, and I'm out there my boxer shorts flipping burger on the barbecue at eight o'clock in the morning and uh and my neighbor looks out of her kitchen window and sees me out there and she's like are you okay like like are you doing all right like what's going on the strangest thing happened after that Uh, you know they invited me over for supper that night which was great uh and fed me a good meal uh i don't know i still don't to to this day i don't know whether it was wilma that did this or what but somebody snuck in the house while I was away at classes and like opened up all the blinds <laughs> like just to let some light and let the windows open up like because it was probably getting funky in there right yeah she came in and kind of intervened in my life she just sort of chose to do something the next night I got another call from somebody else like hey do you want to come over for supper tonight and I was like yeah that would be great That'd be excellent. And so Wilma had must have arranged this whole deal, and I had a parade of people like asking me out for dinner for the rest of the week, the time while Anna was gone, right? Community kind of does that. Community kind of acts, and people kind of act. We don't just pray for each other, we don't just like wish each other well, we, we begin to intervene in one another's lives in, in powerful ways. And, and that's what God's calling us to do, is to be people for whom our, our heart of compassion turns into action, turns into sacrifice, turns into money given, uh, donated. It turns into a uh, pouring into kids' church. It turns into all of these different things. It goes from beyond a feeling to writing checks. And, and giving money and making calls and go, sneaking into people's houses and opening their curtains if they look like they're losing it, right? It's real deal. It's real care. And so this is a partnership, though, that we have with Jesus. You know, it's amazing. Uh, he didn't just completely kick them out to do it all on their own, did he? Right? This is, what, this is what happens next. They came to him and they said, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And they answered, bring them here to me, He said, So we just take that little bit that we've got. We just take that little bit of energy that we have left over. We take that little bit of money that we have. We take that sacrifice that we've made. Hey, maybe we're not going out for dinner one night this month. We're going to maybe sponsor a compassion child. And we, and we take that little uh, monthly uh, dinner out with the family and we, and we sponsor a child or something like that. And we invest in them. And we know that God is going to multiply that. We just take something that we have and we give it to him. And he participated with them, right? So, so they gave the fish to Jesus. They brought them to him. Like, this is our deal. This is what we have, just these little loaves and fish. And the story goes on. And he just says this. He says he gave them to the disciples. Give them to Jesus. Jesus gives them back. They give them to the people. And Luke, it says, they divided the people into groups of 50. And they all ate. And were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. We can't ever say we don't have enough to accomplish what Jesus is calling us to accomplish. We just take what we have to contribute towards the project and we put it in his hands We do it as a community, we do it as individuals, we do it whatever the situation is, we let it supersede our boundaries, we let it supersede our own sense of need, we let it supersede our own sense of of selfishness, and we just give that little piece of what we have, uh, that little bit of time, that little bit of energy, that little bit of uh, investment, that little bit of volunteerism, whatever it is, we give it to Jesus, and we just know that if we all give it, he's going to multiply it. He's all about multiplication. That question, you know, what can we give them? Give them something to eat. Like, what? Give them what to eat? Like, really, like, we've got five loaves and two fish. Like, what are we supposed to give 20,000 people to eat? Like, honestly, it, it's intimidating when we look at the needs out in the community. When we look at Carlton Place, when we look at Almont, when we look at the region, when we look at the world, we look at what we might be called to as a church. We just give what we have and trust that if everybody gives, it's, it's multiplied. And all of a sudden, we're looking at basketfuls and basketfuls and basketfuls and an abundance that is just simply a miracle of the power of God. When our little tiny gift of compassion gets in his hands, he multiplies it into compassion that changes the world. But we have to give our part. One follows the other. If you want to be my disciples, if you want to be my apprentice, then you, you do your part. And the rest goes on. So we wrestle with that. Give them something to eat. Give them what to eat. Just give them what you have. And stand up. Lord, we first ask that uh, we would, as your apprentices, as your disciples, that you would do this miracle of transformation that occurs when we read your word and you would uh, cause us to be people of compassion. Not like the dictators who live in grade nine classes. Help us, Lord Jesus. And honestly, honestly, we pray for this generation that's following us. We pray for these students, Lord, that you would transform their hearts. Or or we are, we're (laughs) tuned, Jesus, we need you to to transform a generation and we need you to use us to transform a generation. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you show us uh, corporately what it is that we... Uh, need to give? Would you show us individually what it is that we need to give? Show us what our loaves and fishes are. We feel like the disciples, like this is our lunch. Like how can we give away our lunch? But as we sacrifice our little bit of lunch, we just know that you're going to multiply. Would you give, a, give us stories, Lord? Just give us stories of multiplication to encourage our hearts. Would you multiply us in evangelism? Would you multiply us in the meal train? Would you multiply us in our workplaces and, and in our schools? Would you multiply our little words? Would you multiply our prayers, multiply our thoughts, multiply our gifts, these little things that we have that we think are almost nothing? Would you take them and just use them with power? We just offer ourselves to you, Jesus. Would there be all kinds of encounters this week where your power is multiplied through us? Just because we've, we've gotten to have your heart and we're willing to let your heart uh, push us to action. We repent, Lord. We ask that you would forgive us for thinking our gifts are too small. We know you can do amazing things with us. We offer our lives to you again.